Uh, we were going to have a puppet show for you tonight, but uh, Marty forgot the puppets, so we're going to have to wait on that another time. If you open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 to 10. Pastor, I was just saying that the only relief you have is laying down, so feel free to lay down. We won't step on you. Uh, I don't know how many of you here, I'm sure, I don't think it only relates to sports. I think any kind of playground game, when you were little kids playing in the playground or out in the neighborhood, if there was another game going on or something else was going on and there was some flying object coming at you and you didn't see it, one of the things that they said then and they say now is, heads up, heads up. Now, normally, when you say heads up, the normal reaction of a person is they duck down and they go like this. Well, hopefully they don't get hit in the back and they don't get hit in their hands and part of their skull that's exposed doesn't get hit. And I often tell the kids that I coach, you know, if you hear heads up, try to be quick and look up and try to be ready with your hands. Well, tonight's message is heads up. And it's, a, and it's an, a, an encouragement to you. Because sometimes our focus isn't where it should be. And like that ball that's coming at you, if you're not heads up and ready to catch it, or forced, fortunate enough to duck and tuck, so if it does hit you, it's not going to uh, kill any brain cells, that it's usually a thing that's a warning. A heads up is a warning. So at the same time, it's a good thing. Because you imagine when I say heads up and you see a ball coming and you catch it, all of a sudden you're a hero. You know, you know it's coming, you made the play. So I want to encourage you with this message tonight because we, unlike the majority of the world, are in a tremendous position for some of the things we're going to look at tonight. And I want to also exhort you to dig into the scriptures. You know, I don't know how many people with a New Year's resolution, with a new exercise program or a new diet program or a new thing you're trying to do. Maybe you're trying to do the uh, biblical readings and maybe you've missed a couple days. Stay with it. And if you haven't started, get into it. It's not too late. Okay, your year will just end on uh, January 9th of next year. But the Bible is a wonderful thing that God has given us. He's given us uh, His Word. It's supernatural. It's exciting. And if you don't have that excitement for God's Word, just pray for it. God will give you that excitement. You know, He's our dad. He wants us to be excited about the things of His kingdom. Okay, let's take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at verses 8 to 10. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Yesterday, Jesus was crucified. Today, he rose from the dead. Tomorrow, he's coming. Wow. You imagine if that was a scenario, that he died yesterday, we saw him uh, rise from the dead today, and know he's coming back tomorrow. What kind of people would we be? Cutting edge. Right there. Not caught up in the worries and the cares of the world. Well, you know something? There's a group of guys and girls who were on that cutting edge for a time. And they slipped back into the world, but they came back out. One of them, who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul, boy, if we ever need an example of someone who was on the cutting edge all the time, right where Jesus wanted him to be, we have a great example in Paul. In the Old Testament, a great example is Joseph. You know, right there. Pray that we 
would be those people. And it's not a far-reaching thing. Today we had basketball practice, and a girl was shooting, and she's new to the game. So she's shooting, and her form's getting better. So she had to take 20 shots, and we were keeping how many baskets she made out of 20. So from each spot, they had to shoot 20. So she was on her third or fourth set, and she came up to me. She goes, and she's a beautiful freshman, born-again Christian that's at a Christian school, and she's just great. She just glows Jesus. So she goes, Coach, I can't get, I can't get more than three. I go, well, you're going to get more than three on this next one, Julia. You're going to do this. So... She's on the uh, foul line elbow, the corner of the foul line. She's shooting. She's two for three. I go, Julia, how you doing? She goes, Coach, I'm two for three. But I don't think I'm going to make any more. I go, Julia, you have 17 more shots. You've already made two for three. Why are you setting yourself up for failure? Julia, do you see what you're doing to yourself? You're two for three. You should be thinking, I'm going 19 for 20. She went on to make seven, which was better than the other three sets where she made two, two and three, or two, three and three. But do you see what she did? How often are you and I like that? Maybe even in things of the Lord. I can almost guarantee, because I'm the same way, how can the Lord use me? Did you ever feel that way? How can the Lord use me? Except for Josh and maybe David. There's nobody else in here in their 20s. So once you're out of your 20s, are we over the hill? Well, Caleb wasn't. Moses wasn't. There's two right there. Was it Simeon in the temple? He wasn't. I think it was Anna in the temple too. She wasn't. Right? So where do, are we the ones who say, God, I've, I'm, tw- I'm over 23. I'm two out of three. It's too late now. I can't make any more. I can't do anything else. Are we our best obstacle? Are we our own worst enemies? And the world came up with that, you know, your your own worst enemy. But we as Christians can be our own worst enemy. Inflaming fire, taking vengeance. If you do a study on fire in the scriptures, it's all over the place. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And I guess a few uh, teachings ago, I did a message on Moses and the burning bush and getting your attention. And one of the things I went into was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Well, you know, those guys had a blast in the fiery furnace. (laughs) They were in a great time, right? Because Jesus was with them. They didn't care. It was fine. It was better in there for them than it was out in the world because they were right there with Jesus. They saw him. But you know when fire is bad or any situation is bad? When Jesus isn't in it. And I often think about hell and it talks about everlasting punishment. Is the everlasting punishment just painful? Or is it the awareness that they will never, ever be in the presence of God? They will never know anything about his nature or character except his perfect justice. It's pretty heavy. Now, again, as I said, this is an encouragement for you and me because we're not going to be in that place. There's a lot of people, unfortunately billions that aren't heads up. They don't know Jesus yet. But you know what's awesome? Jesus is going after them. He's tracking them down. There's people coming to Christ all the time. I, I heard a study was done, 
And, you know, you watch your uh, NFL games, you watch your college games, whatever's going on right now with the football. And the commercials make you believe that everybody's at a football game. That the whole world, their whole goal in life right now is to watch the football game that's being played on TV. But do you know more people are in churches in the United States that are going to football games? That's pretty cool. The world doesn't have you believe that. But there are people seeking God. There's things going on in our world that people are looking at God because there's a lot of wacky stuff going on in our world. Not only in this country, but overseas in the Middle East and the unsettled nature over there. Another thing that I just heard today. A non-believer... Now, of course, we know that this can be done in in one encounter. But they say it usually takes a person about 15 times to hear the gospel before they receive it. So let's just say a kid was 10 years old and he heard the gospel for the first time. Now, let's just say that's a true statement. And I don't know if it is. It was just on Christian radio, a pretty reliable person. And they said about 15 times. And they said, well, we need to get out there to be one of those 15 people that people hear. That's true. But I was just thinking, kid's 10 years old, hears for the first time. Now he's got to hear another uh, about 14 times. And I said, well, was that true with me? And i like you to think about that. Was that true about you? When did you first hear the gospel? And I was trying to think. I, I was raised in a Roman Catholic home. Went to church every Sunday, went to all the holy days. I was uh, brought up in a Catholic school, you know, all that whole scenario. But I don't remember hearing the gospel except uh, when there was this one gentleman on TV. And sometimes he was on opposite Bonanza on Sunday night. Or at the same time, Walt Disney's World was on. And it was Billy Graham. And I remember, and I, and I was thinking back when I received the Lord, I first heard the gospel in live, one-on-one type of thing in college when I was a junior down in South Carolina. But after I received the Lord, I looked back and I said, well, where did I see the example of Christ? And I saw the example of Christ in my mom, who was a praying saint. She's 91 right now. My dad exemplified a lot of the attributes of God. And it was after my brother and I, my brother's a pastor now, after we came to the Lord that we had an opportunity to share with them what God did in our hearts through their upbringing, but then what the Holy Spirit really impressed on us with a personal relationship with the Lord. But one of the things that comes with that whole thing that I gave you in a nutshell was Billy Graham. I remember him preaching. And listening sometimes, sometimes just by myself. What was it that attracted this teenage boy, me, to this man probably, what, in his, I don't know, 30s, 40s maybe at the time? And to listen to him. I didn't know at the time, of course, it was God's Holy Spirit. Just like I didn't know one time I went to creation, out, you know, the creation festival in uh, Pennsylvania, that there was this bald-headed guy. I didn't have a clue who he was. I was sitting on the hill in the mid-afternoon in my 20s, and he's preaching on Samson and lust. And I'm just sitting on the hill, beautiful, sunny day. One of the greatest messages that I've ever heard can still almost give it to you verse by verse and how he taught it. And you know who it was? Chuck Smith. Didn't even know about Calvary, except the Calvary in Israel. Didn't even know about uh, Costa Mesa or what God did in the hippie movement. But here God was just reaching out, you know, to people. And you have your own story, I'm sure. But the neat thing is to think when the first time you heard the gospel. Praise God if it was right in your family, you know, from your mom and dad. That's awesome since you were a little kid being brought up in the Lord. But if you weren't. It might be cool to just go back and see the pieces, how the Lord put it together. 
Can you imagine taking away Jesus, the major agony that would be in our lives now? If you took away Jesus. It's a scary thought. One of the uh, verses in Scripture says, Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in His wrath, and the fire shall devour them. You know, the Scriptures show about the fire, the devouring part of the fire. But we as Christians see the awesomeness of the fire. Like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it released them from their bonds, the, the ropes, and it freed them up to walk in the fiery furnace with Jesus. The fire of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, enabling you to go above and beyond what you're called to do. That fire is available to all of us. What does the Bible say on that? If you just ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit, He's going to give it to you. Because what dad would give his son a stone when the boy asked for a piece of bread? He's our dad. Abba, Father, He loves us. We can go to Him anytime, anywhere, with any request. Even if it seems silly to you. How much did you love your children when they were so cute and asked a silly little question? Right? That was the awesomeness of their youth and their innocence and just growing up. How much so with us and our dad in heaven? We're his little kids. There's no age. He doesn't look as look at us and he sees us as his children we're not adults to him we're his kids he's our dad taking vengeance on those who do not know god now we know i'm not i'm preaching to the choir right now we know what's in store for those people who haven't received christ we know the vengeance that's coming the everlasting fires of hell and then eventually the lake of fire If you turn to 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 14. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 14. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. This is the second letter that he wrote to the saints there. And he says in verse 8, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Notice, sometimes there's things that we hear that can shake us up from the pulpit. Paul shook up the Corinthian church because he knew that sometimes you have to shake somebody to wake them, to get our attention. But notice Paul said, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, but only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. He wasn't pumped up because they were sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. And isn't that the whole thing that God is always trying to have us do? You know, Anthony's flying in the plane tonight from Newark to California. If they don't have any radar and he's off course just a little bit, he'll miss California by hundreds, maybe a thousand miles. God wants us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, he's always trying to get our attention, to get us to turn from the way we're going back onto that path that he has us on. And that's repentance. Turning from your way and following God's way. For you were made sorry, sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Now, here's the cool thing there's a godly sorrow, and there's another kind of a sorrow. Godly sorrow leads. To turn him back towards God. You see yourself. You see your habits changing. You see your desire to serve and follow the Lord gets 
straighter and stronger. It's not to be regretted. That's a great thing. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And I was thinking about that. The sorrow of the world. When you catch your child doing something wrong, and they go, oh, mommy, 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 I'm sorry. They're not sorry. Very rarely. Why are they saying that? Because they were caught. Because they were caught. Godly sorrow is whether you're caught or not, you're repenting. But this worldly sorrow produces death because it doesn't change. I'm sure there's a lot of prisoners in prison tonight that are sorry. Some are sorry, probably most, that they were caught. They, were, they were, did something stupid that caught them and got them into the jail. But we know there's some that are in jail that their lives have changed. They've come to know the Lord as a result of their sin. But isn't it a, isn't it a wild thing to think of this? Why are we here at a Bible study and there's millions and billions of people that don't have any time for God? Any time during the week, yet alone once a week in a fellowship, some sort of a fellowship. Why them and not us? You know, I know that I'm not anything more special than that person that's in prison. But why does God reach out and open up our eyes? That's an amazing thing when I think about that. Verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 7. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What work. It produced in you. You got busy doing something to glorify God. There was a change. What clearing of yourselves. This is a reason statement or argument, this clearing that it's talking about. Of yourselves. The Bible tells us to always be ready to give a defense when someone asks us something concerning the kingdom. To always be ready in season and out of season. What is your reason statement or what is your argument for the kingdom of God? And not argument in the sense of bickering, but having a discussion with somebody, maybe an intense discussion, who wants, who's, wants to know more about God. Maybe they're challenging your belief in God, are you ready for that? Well, one of the things here that Paul is saying is in the repentance and turning and getting back on the right course, you're going to see yourself ready. You're expecting it. Let's bring it on. Let's do it. I'm ready. I'm heads up. Let's go. You know, if my girls aren't ready for a basketball game tomorrow, they're not heads up. I'm going to have to use the time up and wake them up. I'm going to have to shake them to wake them so their head's up to get back on the court and play. What is it that God is trying to impress on you and me? To be heads up. To be out on the earthly floor. To play. To participate in what He has us do. What indignation... Another word for indignation is irritation. If I um, come in here tonight limping like I was, but it's not because of any um, sickness, maybe it's because a pebble in my shoe or a stone, boy, that's irritating me. I'm going to go right down there and I'm going to throw it out. And I'm going to lace up my sneakers and I'm going to walk without that pain that's in my foot because of the pebble. It was an irritant. It got me to do something good. It made me do something that was better for me than before. What is irritating you at this point tonight in your life? What is the irritant in your life? 
Is it the very thing that God wants you to draw closer to Him in? You know, when I talk to Pastor Joe, I think about the pain, that chronic pain in his, you know, with his uh, vertebra, two vertebrae on his nervous system and the pain he's feeling constantly. And, and Joe will tell you if you talk to him, he goes, he doesn't know what the Lord's trying to tell him. He's asking the Lord. And what a frustration that must be, you know, because he doesn't know why right now. One day he's going to know, but boy, if any of us have been in that position, it's frustrating, right, to wonder what is going on. But that irritation can be the very thing that is going to help you solve a situation to move on to the next thing that the Lord has for us. What fear, what vehement, the word vehement here, Earnestly, an earnest desire. What zeal? Another strong desire. What vindication? In all things you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. But look at what all that sorrow produced. The godly sorrow. Look what it did in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. He saw a change. Doing justice to all parties. Um, go back to the verse we're looking at. Vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you ever see the film um, Hell's, Hell's Gates, is it? Wait, somebody help me. Hell's Gates. It's the uh, skit. It's a little uh, skit on stage where... People are dying and they're going to hell and the demons and the angels. What is it? I thought it's um, heaven's gates. Something with hell's gates. It's like a, four uh, words. But anyway, the premise is a person dies. He's, he's there where there's heaven and hell. And the demons come and get him and say, Oh, you thought you had more time. You don't have any more time. You're ours now. So all the stuff that they were reasoning on this earth, that I'll wait till I'm in my 40s or, you know, I'm a good person. And the demons would go, oh, you're a good person. Well, good doesn't make it here. You're coming with us into the fires of hell. It's thrown back at them all this stuff that they reasoned that they didn't need a relationship with Jesus. But most of them heard the gospel whether it was a TV evangelist, whether it was when a friend brought him to youth group, whether it was when they came to church on Sunday or during Christmas time or Easter, they heard the message. They're not without an excuse. They rejected what they heard and they chose the world. In verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians 1, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. One of the first, I believe it's the first instance that we see fire in the Bible is in the book of Genesis and it's in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned. Do you remember what was on fire? The flaming sword that was keeping Adam and Eve from going to the tree of life. And I looked at that and I said, boy, that even in sin, when man lost his innocence, God's grace was so evident. And you might be saying, well, how is God's grace evident if he wouldn't let Adam and Eve to the tree of life? Well, think about it. They sinned. They were fallen. If they ate from the tree of life, they would have been in that fallen state forever. So, in other words, when sin entered, death entered. But with death came God's glorious plan for mankind. Redemption. Now, Jesus comes on the scene. The promise of the Redeemer. Jesus comes on the scene to deliver us from sin and from death. How do we know Adam and Eve bought into that? 
Well, if you look, and I believe it's the third chapter of Genesis, they clothe themselves with skin that God gave them. They didn't go to uh, Flemington Fur Company or whatever. God had to slay some animals. Blood had to be shed in order for them to be covered because now they knew that they had sinned against God. And they accepted God's covering. They didn't try to do their own religion, which was the fig religion. They didn't cover themselves with their own way of covering. They took God's way. And in that whole thing was the promise of God one day sending a son to shed his blood on the cross for the sins of the world. I want to give you something in our study tonight to take a look at. And I'm going to ask you to flip over to Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 to 34. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 34. Chuck Missler. You guys ever see Chuck Missler? I know some of you have. How many know Chuck Missler, who that is? Anybody ever see him teach in person? Well, Chuck Missler is a genius. And if you sit and listen to him for an hour and a half, at least me, and he gives you about 30 juicy, factual stuff, I'm fortunate if I can grasp one or two of them. He, he really speaks a lot of things. I mean, he's, he just has a great grasp of the scriptures and of the world situation, everything that's going on, technology, the whole thing. But one of the things that Chuck Missler does, and I want to encourage you with this next couple passages, is dig into these passages more yourself. Do your own study. If you're taking any notes, it's Matthew 25, verses 31 to 34, verse 41, and verse 46. And we're going to look at those briefly. And then Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. Daniel 12, 11 to 13. But we're going to look at Matthew right now in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, it's pretty interesting there to me that in this particular verse, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he's going to separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep. Okay, go down to verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I skipped 35 to 40, but it's the whole passage was, when Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? You know, it's that whole thing. But I wanted to bring out something in these verses. And verse 46, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Okay. Let's look at verse 41. We know that if a person wants to live his life apart from Jesus, he will go there. There being into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I think we all know that hell wasn't a place created for mankind. It was a place created for the devil and his angels. However, man, in their rejecting Jesus, chooses the same path that Satan did to be their own God, to do their own thing, to make their own choices. So they end up in the place where Jesus is not present. Only His justice is there. They're apart from God now, which is practice for eternity. But the hope that we have is that they will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus before their time is up, regardless of age. 
All right, now, turn to Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. And this is the part you've got to really do your own study on. Okay, this is probably a, a study in itself for an hour in a, in a teaching setting. But Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. I'm actually going to pick it up in 9. I'm sorry. Let's go 9 to 13 of Daniel 12. Daniel, one of the great prophetic books in the whole Bible. Verse 9, and he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many feel that we are in the end times right now. Many feel that we are in the end of the end times. Verse 10. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. Verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, And the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Now the Bible doesn't reveal what will happen during the 30 days between uh, 1,260 days and 1,290 days, which is at the end of the Great Tribulation. However, the end will come 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation, which is when the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple to be worshipped. Now, the agonies will not continue of the tribulation. There's going to be a tribulation period. But they're not going to continue indefinitely. They're going to have an end. God's going to show his grace and mercy once again. Now, verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,000 335th day. Now, Jesus is going to judge all the nations we read up in Matthew. Those spared to the 1,335th day will enter the kingdom age with Jesus. And we believe that there's going to be a kingdom age of a thousand years on this earth. But notice that there's going to be people who are not going to take the mark of the beast and they're going to survive. And there's going to be a judgment of all the nations and God's going to separate the people of the nations, those on the left and those on the right. Those on the left are going to go into everlasting fire. Those on the right are going to go into the kingdom. Now, we also believe, or I'm assuming since you're going to Calvary Chapel, that you believe in the rapture of the church. One of the things that is taught throughout the Calvaries. And that is that any time, could be right now, bam, we're gone. And whether your body stays in those seats and slumps over, or they're disintegrated, doesn't matter, we're out of here. We're gone. And we're going to be caught up in the air with Jesus. And then one day we'll come back, to that kingdom age of the thousand years and be glorifying God in our service to Him. Okay, now. An interesting study for you would be those days. That's the part in Daniel. Checking out those days and seeing where it correlates with Matthew that we just looked at. And one of the things I'm finding is that in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, there's a couple things. There's a combination of Jesus' second coming, and there's also speaking about the end of the age where God will destroy this earth by fire before He brings on the new heavens and the new earth. So it's an interesting study. I just want to challenge you in that area. 
to go for it, to see what God shows you through that. In 1 Peter 4, you do not have to turn to this. In 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10, it's, verse 8 says that God is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they're disobedient to what God shows us. In Hebrews 5, 9, it says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's you and me. That's us right here tonight. Revelation 20, 11, I'm sorry, 2010. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What a great day that will be when that takes place. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, praise God, as we place our trust in Jesus, we don't have to go through this. We don't have to, our name is already written in the book of life. That's awesome news. In 2 Peter 3, 7 to 10, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. And so how many people, well, I don't hear it that much now, but have you ever been told, well, if there really is a God, why is he allowing all this uh, violence? Why is he allowing all these wars, you know, all these abortions? Where is he? He's silent. Why, why isn't he speaking? Well, that's covered in the next verse. He's long-suffering. He's not going to come back before his time because he knows there's more people, maybe family members, maybe a husband, a wife, a son or daughter that's still going to accept him. How many of us would not have been born-again believers and been in the fires of hell if Jesus came back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago? But because of His long-suffering, we were included in His family as a result of His long-suffering. And He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Some of the signs of the end, heads up time, some of the signs of the end as we wrap up. One of the greatest fulfillments of prophecy was in 1948 with the reestablishment of Israel as a nation. And the Bible talks about that the generation that sees this happen will not pass away before the coming of the Lord. Well, that was 1948. 60 years ago. So the generation that was born then is 60 years older, older. Interesting. Very interesting with that one. In the last days, there's supposed to be perilous times. Men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, we definitely see that today. I mean, Self Magazine, People Magazine, Us Magazine. Me Magazine, I mean, there's I Magazine, you know, there's all these magazines that promote self. How about the free sex without any responsibility, without any accountability, without any love? All over the globe, all over the place. They were saying that in the 80s, I might be off a little on the number, but there was about a million million people that were living together in the 80s that produced offspring. So that means those kids then are now in their 20s today. And the effect in the family unit as a result of that. 
Think of the abortions. I think it's 35 million babies have been aborted since 1962. The estimate is like a million a year are aborted. More than all the wars. They say the most dangerous time for a person to be alive is the nine months in the womb. Think about that. The most dangerous time to be alive today is the nine months the infant in the womb because of the mortality rate of that million a year. Once they're out of the womb, they got a chance. Isn't that sad? Think how the enemy has distorted human life. Remember the God of the Old Testament, uh, Moloch, was that fiery God. There was a statue with the arms like this. And the unwanted babies would be placed on a uh, heated statue. So they just sizzled when they put them in the arms of this God and they offered praises to God. It was just another form of abortion. Revelation 20, 11 to 15 talks about, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, the great news for you and me is we fall in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. And this is where we need to be heads up. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do we use those words to comfort one another when we're hurting, when we're struggling? Keep looking up. The Lord's coming back. It's just a matter of time. It's not if, it's when. He's definitely coming. It's just a matter of when, according to his timetable, that it's happening. Encouragement as we close. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. So whether you're in my presence or in each other's presence or not, we just want to be pleasing to him. It's awesome. Seeing you out here tonight. Anytime people come to church or a midweek Bible say, that's great. But hey, whether you're here or somewhere else, do the things that are pleasing to him. For we must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh-oh. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I want to... Really encourage you on this one. This is not the white throne judgment. This is like when you finish a race and there's a judge there and he's awarding you your ribbon or your medal. This is where we are standing before the seat of Christ. And it's totally different from the great white throne judgment. Here is where your motives for the things that you did for Jesus will be judged. What are your motives? Everything will be burnt away except the things you did for Jesus. So our prayer, we're not going to go through that judgment because our sin has already been judged on the cross through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise Him for that. We don't have to be there wonder if our name is written in the book of life. I can't even imagine. You ever see Private Ryan? Saving a Private Ryan? Remember those brave soldiers when they were coming, got, getting ready to go onto the beach? The different scenes that Steven Spielberg captured, how they felt. You know, the nerves, the way they were getting sick, losing control of all bodily functions in their agony and anxiety, getting ready to go onto this beach where they already saw thousands of bodies dead. 
They were going into eternity, most of them. Think about the white throne judgment with the unsaved. Oh my goodness. What a terrible day that's going to be for them. But you and I, because of Jesus, don't have to go there. We're not going there. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but doing those being judged for the things that we did for Him. Pray that we'll be worthy to stand there a long time. That we are there because of all the things that we did in the name of Jesus, for Jesus, not for ourselves, not for the pat on the back, but for Him. Let's be heads up in that area. Are we doing things for ourselves? For the person to see us doing them? Or for the one that it really counts for? Finally, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort these things. Rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And remember, no one knows the day or the hour, even the angels of heaven. Only God knows. But He has given us signs like the birth pangs of a woman that as those things get closer and closer, we're closer to being caught up in the air with the Lord. We're closer to the second coming of Christ. We're closer to the thousand years. We're closer to the destruction of this world and the new heavens and the new earth. Saints, we pray for each other. This is a time that we can't be on the shelves. There's too much to do, and the time is running out. So let's keep our heads up, looking for the coming of the Lord in the air. When we keep our heads up, we see each other. What can I do for you? What can I do for the lost? When we keep our heads down, all we see is this space and myself. Less of us and more of Jesus. Amen? Let's keep our heads up. 